Let's talk about Mile High Shooting. If you go to milehighshooting.com and order online right now, anything you get is 5% off. Just sign up, click the button, and you're done. Go to the website, and you're going to see right off the bat Zeiss LRP S5. I've been playing with my S5, and I like it. And I also like the S3. They are kicking ass. We're going to be talking about those guys soon. But other things they carry... Well, they only carry good stuff. So they've got AI rifles, AI mags, AI barrels, AI accessories, spur mounts, spur rings. They've got really right stuff, Lapua, Night Force. You can get an ATX outfitted the way that you want it to. And then they've got boatloads of ammunition. They've got boatloads of bullets and powders, as well as every other thing that you could possibly imagine for long-range shooting. I think that they are the ultimate one-stop shop for anybody that listens to this podcast. So hit them up, tell them that the Straight Dope sent you, and you won't be disappointed. They're my local gun shop. They support matches. They support shooters. They're good people, and they can ship all over the country. So whatever it is that you need, they can provide it. Check them out. Get back to the range. The shooting world is pretty dynamic and there's a lot of kind of hot topics, but one thing that gets people excited are are rulings and legislations, laws, and even just the suggestion that that somebody's considering making a legal change um, gets the community excited. And then it then a lot of that seems to kind of disappear. And and my guess is there's people that are left scratching their heads as to what a lot of it means. And, and so I was hoping we could talk about the, the brace uh, question and what some of the new decisions, rulings, um, and, and uh, some of the media that came out about people that have uh, pistol braces on rifles um, and, and, and get, some, get some clarification on it anyway for, for people that, that heard about it, don't understand it, or want to know more. So, so could, you, could you kind of explain, like, what is the new rule on braces? So it, everybody always says the new rule. I don't, I don't know if I agree with it being a new rule. I agree with it being a recharacterization of the rule. Uh, you can call it a new rule if you want to, but there was an existing rule. So I don't ever like to say they just popped one in and, and said, oh, well, ta-da, you've got a new rule. Um, that's not exactly what happened, but uh, basically, the new rule recharacterizes all sorts of factors. It basically it turns it into a factor test, which I absolutely despise when it comes to these type of things. Because when you look at factor tests and so on and so forth, you're always talking about you know things that you know regular agencies want to leave as much leeway and flexibility for them to interpret something. So they do these factors and. That that's really what the rule encompasses, and they kind of put like a factor test of like six different factors in their ruling, and it's there. It's kind of ridiculous if you if you if you actually read it. It's it's evident that anybody who decided to to concoct this thing uh, decided to do so in such a manner that would make it the most flexible and easily most easy to prosecute. But I think to an extent, it also kind of backfired on this new rule. So they they can tear, they characterize all sorts of stupid things now, like. For example, like weight, length of rifle. Um, I think the only one that I see that that even moderately affects what we're looking at with a brace rule would be 
like um, the length of pool. Um, but they also include goofy things like uh, what optics on it and whether or not that optic is designed to be shot from the shoulder and so on and so forth. And they even do third party indirect thought processes like what was the uh, what was the marketing behind said product or said accessory? And then, you know, whether it's marketing direct or indirect, and then <clears throat> the instructions or rules of how they want to interpret it. Now, um, and, and that's that's kind of what the rule is, is now based upon. And it, I think it's going to cause a whole lot of issues. And I, and I think it's a good idea we talk about this because uh, at least with respect to silencer codes, I guess their, their tax deferral and and date to process under their tax-free or tax-deferred. I don't want to say tax-free because it's not exactly tax-free, but tax-deferred filing for um, for your short barrel rifle now actually lapsed yesterday, and we received a host of you know all sorts of calls because our firm handles you know a, a good deal of manufacturers and uh, regulatory compliance, risk mitigation, and so on and so forth. Particularly as it affects the Second Amendment uh, industry, so. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy what they what they pulled and and a lot of people read all these articles and they don't actually go through the the actual rule itself. So you can take somebody else's word for it, or you can you know actually know what it says and and kind of equip yourself. And hopefully we can talk a little bit about that. Sure. So so um, with the things that gosh, I mean, you mentioned so much already that that. I'm sure that just opens the door for a ton more conversations. But but before we do that, because those were factors that make it more flexible and easy to prosecute. If somebody has a brace on their rifle now, um, is it now considered illegal as of yesterday? And what happens if they do or don't? So, so the law was new. promulgated in January this year, but uh, or the I'll say law actually, it's the regulation was was kind of put forward and final and finality on January of this year. Um, the the there is a grace period, so to speak, to quote unquote register your stuff, um, and that's supposed to be May thirty first. So we're still within the time period. What I referenced earlier was silencer codes. I guess in order for them to process their e file or their their filing system. Uh, and how they do everything, use the silence code kiosk and such like that, that mm -hmm. they required everybody who is using their system to uh, basically apply before the 16th of May, which was yesterday. And then, okay. um, but you still have until the 31st, you could still file. They just wanted to make sure that if they were the middleman to file it, they had enough time to, because uh, they, I, I'm certain they anticipated a crap ton of filing. So they decided to put their arbitrary deadline on the 16th of May, but it doesn't really take an effect until the 31st, if I remember correctly. Okay. So somebody that wants to still file can do so, but what happens if they don't? Well, if they don't, I mean, let's, and this is kind of what I want to focus on because most of the questions are, well, what if I decide not to, or what about all the legislations or not legislation, but what about all the rules about enforcement and so on and so forth? whether or not there's current lawsuits. Let's not talk any about anything about that. Let's talk about like real life solutions for people because everybody's asking, you know, what do I do if I have a, uh, if I have a, um, uh, a pistol blower that I've built into a pistol brace with something shorter than 16 inch uh, barrel length. Uh, 
and, and the most common one that we know of is is, is the standard AR profile uh, firearm, right? Everybody's like, well, you know, what happens if I decide to do this or decide to do that? Um, the, the most common thing I can tell you is, is if you bought a lower and you anticipate wanting to use it as a pistol, the pistol rules still apply. So um, we've heard of all the whole arbitrary rules about you can't put a foregrip on a, on a, on a pistol and so on and so forth. It's just a bunch of goofy rules, but you can put an AFG on the, on, on the on the pistol. But let's talk about most reasonably the most common thing you can have. There's no rule actually governing the brace itself. Uh, the brace is simply an accessory under the eyes of the ATF. What they're actually governing is the final firearm in whatever form you decide to take it out and use it and so on and so forth. So if you have a pistol braced um, pistol setup, um, you would need to remove the pistol brace um, in order to be able to operate uh, the, the firearm um, and, and putting a pistol brace and combining it with a uh, a pistol lower or a non-registered SBR, a non-registered SBR would actually be what they're looking for right now. So the most easy thing you can do is, is remove your pistol brace, assuming you comply with all the other rules, right? And gotcha. nothing says you can't apply for a, uh, a stamp on that, on, on that firearm you know, a year or two down the road, you just have to keep it in a legitimate pistol um, configuration. And and the thing is, is that that's really what we talk about. What is a legitimate pistol configuration based on the weird, ambiguous factor test they talk about here, the six factor test they talk about. But yeah, most common thing, remove the pistol brace or you can register it down the road. You're just going to have to pay $200 tax stamp to register it down the road. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that even apply if the lower isn't connected to an upper? Well, so they also did this weird constructive possession, uh, constructive possession uh, update to their frequently asked questions. So where constructive possession talks about is, is like, uh, for example, you have a pistol lower, right? And let's say, uh, or let's, let's, let's talk about constructive possession like this. It's actually better this way. Let's say you have a bunch of rifles that you purchased over the counter as rifles from your local uh, FFL. So they're all 16-inch or greater, um, barrel lengths, whether you consider pin and weld muzzles or not or whatever. But they're all compliant at that point. And with that rifle lower, um, you also possess a, let's say, a 10.5-inch barrel, a 10.5-inch barrel upper. If you don't have a single SBR lower in your household and you don't have a single pistol uh, or, or receiver in your household. The problem you end up running into is, is that the um, you have nothing to house at 10 and a half inch, and they kind of call that constructive possession. They say they call it possession with the intent to basically manufacture an SBR because you have a 10 and a half inch upper that essentially has no home. What do you do in that instance, right? Uh, what's the point of that? And that's really where the ATF is going to hammer some of these people. Um, about possessing a 10 and a half inch upper with no pistol lower or anything like that. So that I don't think removing to answer your question, I don't think removing simply the upper from the lower is enough. The safer bet is removing the pistol brace because that's really what the, the regulation is attacking right now. It's and it's goofy because on one yeah. hand, they're saying the brace is not a firearm. It's an accessory, but on the other hand, they're, their, their regulation essentially points at the brace as the culmination of, of how the application or, or how the rules applied. Right. 
Right. It's, it's, so it doesn't make any sense, as is everything. I mean, and it, it's, 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 it's really funny because, I mean, you, I, I think I've used this comparison. You wouldn't have somebody who can't drive making traffic laws, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's what you have. You have people who are afraid to learn about the firearm because of the stigma it proposes on somebody who doesn't believe in it or something like that. And they have them kind of promulgating these apps these regulations in not understanding the full breadth of how it applies. So, yeah, it, again, to answer your question, I would tell you removing the lower from an upper that's shorter than 16 inches uh, in bear length is, is insufficient in my eyes. I think um, removing the SIG brace is, is, is more because the firearm, keep in mind, the registered firearm itself is the lower. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, but but what, you know we're now we're talking about the parts like like right the difference between a brace pistol and an SBR and and um, when and what each counts and constitutes which you know people are going to be looking at these factors that seems like an important thing to kind of clearly understand the difference between the brace pistol the SBR and well what, and, and what that's they're the looking thing. for so that you comply. And that's the thing. And that's the thing that our legislature and the regulatory agencies often forget is that regulations and laws are designed so the layperson can understand them. If you write them, and, and there are ways to make it uh, something that's otherwise complex, simplistic, but they don't do that. They write complexity in the regulation because they want the flexibility to come after people. And that's really what it is. Because, I mean, listen to some of the factors, for example. Okay, I'm going to read these directly from the ATF's ruling, okay? Um, whether the weapon has a weight or length consistent with the weight or length of a similarly similarly designed rifles. What does that mean? I, I could I can truncate the weight of my 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 rifle by simply or my 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 firearm by simply Reducing the thickness of the barrel or going to a different type of metal for a component, you know, people run. I mean, of course, ARs are already aluminum and so on and so forth. But there are several ways you can lighten up a, a firearm. Right. And then number right, two, right. whether the weapon has a length of pull measured from the center of the trigger to the center of the shoulder stock or other rearward accessory component or attachment, including adjustable telescoping attachments with the ability to lock into various positions uh, on the buffer tube, so they're talking about whether or not your 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 buffer tube, the ability to have a six position buffer tube or something like that, is going to play a role. And then they talk about the attachment, and then again they use that terminology of hate, consistent with similarly designed rifles. Seriously, I mean that's again it, it's it's all appearances to them. It has nothing to do with legitimate function. They try to outline and shoehorn function, but then they they basically kill it all with the consistently or consistently uh, or consistent similar uh, design rifles. Number three, and, and and actually I'll say, I'll concede two may be somewhere closer to what they're looking for, but realistically it just it doesn't get there because of the language they use. Three, whether the weapon is equipped with sights or a scope with eye relief that is required, uh, that requires a weapon to be fired from a, uh, from the shoulder. Um, what red dots, all those type of things, um, iron sights. There's they have no idea, and they're saying eye relief because somebody told them eye relief matters, and they're saying, oh well, a scope has an eye relief of this. Well, what if I have a pistol 
uh, what if I have a pistol scope? You know, the guys, the old hunters that like to use the 500 Smith and Wesson, you know, with mm-hmm. a with a with a with a with a basically a scout eye relief on their scope. So a pistol scope or something like that, you can definitely do that too. Um, you know, I, the one that always comes to mind is the Steyr Scout, right? The Scout rifle that Steyr makes. the The optic is mounted way forward, mm-hmm. and is not consistent with uh, typical eye relief. So again, they have no idea what ramifications are really looking at, and that's why they call it a factor test because they're just trying to shoehorn everything in, and they're trying to legislate a result. And I'll get to that later. But hey, I wanted to talk to you guys about a partner, and that partner is Cobalt Kinetics. If you go to Cobalt Kinetics and look, they have got precision and competition carbines. And I want you to look through their offerings. They are the carbine that I've been competing with for the last couple of years. And every competition that I've gone to with their 223 that I compete with, I've left with a trophy. Every single one, which I think is pretty impressive. So an affordable, well-built, well-designed gas gun and I can tell you that it has worked for me and it doesn't break the bank. I'm going to have more to say about them as they have products rolling out, but I wanted to start off with that so that you understand that I have intimate experience with their systems and their systems perform at a level that can win trophies. So check them out. Cobalt Kinetics. Uh, and then four, they say whether the surface area allow, uh, <laughs> that allows the weapon to be fired from the shoulder is created by the buffer tube receiver extension or any other accessory component or rearward attachment that is necessary for the cycle of oper- uh, cycle of operations. What does that mean? <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Because you can take that out. I can do a lever rifle like a mare's leg or something like that, you know, and and put a stock on it and still make it fireable with a shorter than 16 inch barrel. But it's not necessarily the cycle of the weapon. Um, It's it's ridiculous. All these type of things have huge holes and ramifications in there with existing uh, with existing terminology that we already use in firearms industry. Right. They conflict them Uh, five. And I'll go through the last two relatively quickly because I know, you know, we want to get to the point, but. The manufacturer direct and indirect marketing of promotional materials indicated are indicating the intended use of the weapon. And then six, information demonstrating the likely use of the weapon in the general community. Okay. What? Well, fortunately, like most, most firearms ads, you know, for that kind of stuff has ladies in bikinis in it, right? So all you have to <laughs> pick up chicks. No, I mean, the argument can be made, right? I mean, nobody wants to see me in a bikini. So as long as I'm not in a bikini, then it's not designed for the use of the intended the marketing materials. I, I guess that's what they mean. But you see, I mean, I'm reading through all six. And the ones that are actually somewhat catered towards the function are obliterated by other language. I mean, it's it's rendered basically useless, ambiguous. You know, arbit- I believe the term that we like to use as lawyers, arbitrary and capricious, right? Basically random determinations. But again, that's what the regulation says. And because we can't, and going back to what I was talking about earlier, I want to talk about functionally what this means for your the people who are listening. 
the law itself is designed for a reason. And again, they're trying to legislate a result. They have no idea how to do so. So they kind of just compiled this, this garbage together and into making some sort of, of what they believe to be some sort of followable or interpretable rule, right? Um, but there, there really isn't anything out of this. And again, it, it's, it's kind of ridiculous what they're doing right now. So what we know what we can control is, is we can control it. those. And, and I'll say this to every single listener, don't nobody wants to be the guinea pig because i'm assuming if you're owning a firearm and i'm assuming if you've if you've been in the firearm industry and you want to continue owning a firearm you don't want to randomly or accidentally or even tread the line of being found as a felon for doing something right and so i i, I argue and this is not this is not necessarily the most popular because you know they talk about you know, uh, civil disobedience and so on and so forth. But I'm not going to get into that. I'm looking this really from a lawyer. Who's going to get prosecuted for what? And the idea is, is remove the SIG brace. And in best case scenario, because of these goofy rules, change your buffer to the old pistol buffer with that little foam piece on it and no ability to attach a stock at all. Those are your safest bets. Um, and like I said, nobody wants to be the guinea pig because never mind the plethora of litigation you're going to have to go through, uh, never mind all of the fees that you're going to have to expend, never mind any of that stuff. Just look at the fact that, you know, you know, you want to be the guinea pig to, to, to be found guilty by accident or otherwise, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, and I'll go ahead and say this, you may want to bleep it out later, but it's the fuck around and find out rule, right? So from a lawyer's perspective, if you're not going to go ahead and take the time to register that pistol as an SBR now, just know that in order to be in the clear, the opinion is, and this is pretty widely expected, you know, remove the buffer, use a buffer that can't be used in a traditional uh, telescoping stock or six position stock or four position stock, and also remove the brace itself. Because that, in, the, my, in my opinion, is the only way you can do so. And, and the problem is in the last 10 years, braces have come a long way. You have extending braces and things like that. I mean, I'm a tall person, six foot three. I have a large, long forearm. And as a result, you know, a telescoping brace may be helpful for, for a brace on my arm if I'm handicapped or something like that. But they're saying you have to do away with that now too. So uh, with, with rule number, uh, where is it? I think it's uh, rule number two or uh, factor number two, adjustable or telescoping attachment with the ability to lock into various positions along the buffer tube, whatever that means. I mean, we know what that means functionally, but we don't know how that applies to why it is or isn't something it should apply. They're really coming after the whole shoulder fired weapon aspect of it. So, I mean, that's really what we look at, you know? And, and again, they use, they use so many, so many weird, they, and they quote things like designed, redesigned, made or remade, and intended to be fired from the shoulder. You can't, you can't do intent. The weapon's going to be fired. However, the weapon's going to be fired. You know, some people fire shotguns from the hip. Some people prefer the old Rambo method, right? Under the armpit. And, but um, nothing saying right or wrong, but again, 
it's 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 something that's otherwise this is this thing would fail in legislation, which is the reason why they do it in regulation. Um, you know, the one thing I will say that's hopeful is there's tons of states suing for this type of stuff uh, and suing that's based on you know something arbitrary or not determinable or or not reasonably specific. And as a result, I mean, hopefully something will come down. They'll have to fix the rule or they'll have to do something a little bit more clear or they're just going to have to legislate. But I, I will say this, there has been a ruling for the Supreme Court that's come down that talks about the regulatory scope that a, reg, uh, a regulatory agency is able to apply if it's not under the original charter or it's not specifically defined. It can be unconstitutional for them to attempt to regulate certain things. So that's going to be part of the legislation or part of the 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 legislation excuse me the uh the court case itself as well so but yeah it's goofy interesting well that, that's all good that's all good information to know and think about and and yeah i mean i think telling people to be more cautious uh even even if they disagree um it's you know you right you don't want to be the guinea pig when it comes to this stuff because there's that's a pretty extreme financial time and well, it's not only that sequential burden. They're preying on the people that, of course, enjoy using their firearms, enjoy hunting, enjoy recreational activities, like shooting competitions and such, like you, for example. They're preying on these people because they know these people, and in some instances, make a living with this type of stuff. Um, and as a result, they're preying on these people because they don't want, because you can't make a living if you're found not to be able to possess firearms because you become a felon, right? So they're preying on these people saying, look, you should be scared and that's what we want you to do. And, and that's what this regulatory agency, I mean, that's what the ATF is doing with this rule. It has no real basis in, 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 in any kind of functional or reasonable interpretation of, of, of how things are going. It has no basis for what we actually typically use it for, you know? You think anybody's going to care about flopping a stock if they're going to go do something nefarious with their weapon? No, they don't care. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And, it's and fascinating. So again, the one thing I want people to walk away with is is that if you don't feel like and you want to wait for the legislation to carry out, the biggest penalty you legitimately have at the moment, assuming you make your your pistol brace compliant by removing it, changing out buffers, any of the factor of those to make you not subject to the rule, which again, the rule's ambiguous, I know. But as long as you do that in the meantime, you know, and you want to wait for some sort of, you know, result from the judicial proceedings that are that are being looked at right now, you can always register the pistol lower later on and as, as an SBR, go form one it and then and then you'll have an SBR, and then you can put your 10.5 back on there. You can drop a stock, you can drop a foregrip, you can do whatever the heck you want at that point with an SBR. The only problem is, is um, you know, there's some other rules about SBRs versus pistol braces. Do you want to cover that this time, or do you want to kind of make a separate one? Well, the, the one I always tell people that that because, uh, you know, hunting with SBRs has become more and more popular, particularly in wooded areas. Nobody wants to carry a very long gun when they go hunt in wooded areas. Um, so having an SBR or something like that is, is sometimes nice to hunt with. Um, you know, the 300 blackout has become very popular. You have the 86 blackout, who has also become very, very popular. 
Um, <clears throat> so those type of firearms that do traditionally are designed with shorter barrel lengths in mind for cycling uh, and, and still able to cycle. I mean, those guys that like to run those calibers, um, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with that, subsonic ammunition, whatever, the biggest thing I'll let people know is, is the one thing I'll have you take away from the difference between SBR and a, um, a, a pistol is that an SBR should not and cannot be brought across state lines without uh, notice and approval through the ATF. Um, whereas a pistol brace, you can move it from jurisdiction to jurisdiction because it's considered a pistol. Um, of course, there are those other jurisdictions that will probably look frown upon that. But generally speaking, your ability to travel with one, say, from Texas to Oklahoma, that's totally legitimate. I can go to Oklahoma with a pistol and and hunt with a pistol, uh, provided I have all the other rules and everything like that to bring that across. You know, I'm, I'm legally able to possess it. But what I can't do is, is once that pistol has been turned into an SBR, for people like us in North Texas, it's a two and a half hour shot for me to get across uh, to go hunt in Oklahoma lease or ranch or something like that. And if I do that, I absolutely cannot bring an SBR. So gotcha. again, it, it, it brings about all sorts of convenience factors, but convenience aside, I mean, those are the things that the, the law indicates you're not able to move SBR from state to state without an application. Interesting. But but after you've changed your pistol to a SBR, you're in the same predicament. Well, exactly. So like those guys that hunted with their, let's say their 10.5 300 blackout, right? Or 10.3 300 blackout or whatever, eight inch 300 blackout that they used that was originally a pistol setup. You take it to Oklahoma, go hunt, come back, right? Um, or you're in Oklahoma, take it to Texas to hunt pigs. That's probably a little bit more, more uh, likely. Um, and you do that and you can bring a pistol brace across and it's a pistol and everything like that. And you're good. Uh, now, if you have to register that as your SBR, you can't just pick up your SBR 300 blackout and take it over to Texas. Mm -hmm. By the letter of the law, that 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 is crossing state lines with an with an SBR. And, you know, you can get a lot of trouble for that. Sure, sure. So the amount of interstate travel with. Anything is going to decrease. Uh, you know, any uh, anyone that was doing that or, or the barrel length is going to have to increase. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's exactly it. Like, I, I I have an SBR 300 blackout, and I love it. Um, I generally don't ever take it anywhere, because if I do, um, you know, you're crossing state lines, and I don't want the paperwork, and so on and so forth. But if I, uh, but I also had a pistol lower. So if I had a pistol lower, and I had a, the same length barrel 300 blackout, I could take that pistol lower to another state to hunt and not have to worry about it, provided, of course, that state allows you to hunt with SBRs and all sorts of goofy rules that they have in other states. Texas, we're kind of, we're, we're kind of live and let live. So, um, you know, you can hunt with virtually anything so long as it's an ethical kill. Dang, this opens up like another hour of just questions about, about <laughs> all this stuff. So, so for now, let's, let's cut this one off because, um, I don't want it to drag out or turn into super long because I'm trying to make these things a little bit shorter, but I think this is really awesome. One of my big projects and goals is to 
experiment, play with, and compete in the air gun phenomena that seems to be coming out, but has been around for a long time. Utah Air Guns is at the center of that. They bring in high-end specialty air gun components. They bring in rifle components, and they custom build people high-performance air rifles. Air guns uh, often are divisions or used in like rimfire type competitions, but they also have standalone competitions. I believe that when it comes to training, certain elements of all rifle shooting that have to do with fundamentals, the air rifle is the ultimate system to do that. So I'm going to be having podcasts and discussions and data unfolding about the use and benefits of air rifles for those specific components and also discuss how they might not help with other components, right? Which makes sense. If you're going to shoot a 338, air rifle may help with some of that and it might not help with other parts. But I think that Utah air rifles is leading the charge. And so I have ordered an air rifle to have in our classes for craft studies, for measurements and for data. And I want to encourage you guys to look into their systems and reach out to Utah air guns, follow them on Instagram and follow us. It will not only be on this podcast, but also on snipers hide. There's a new air gun section, an entire section devoted to air rifles and what people are doing and unfolding so that we can kind of hive mind and source data and then send you back to a shop that can put together a system for you that performs at the level that you needed to perform at, period. So until I have more to say, uh, go check them out and hit up Sniper's Hide, check out the thread, and stay tuned for episodes revolving around or including data from the rifles that the guys at Utah Air Guns put together for us.